Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Well, praise the Lord. Aren't you thankful for what you feel? We begin to sing about His greatness and His goodness, that He has no rival. I believe that He manifests Himself to show that. I'm thankful that at the mention of His name, He is in our midst. Praise God. Praise God. I do feel like I'm in the will of the Lord this morning. And I know you've been standing a while, and I do have a few scriptures to read. If you'll join me in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, we'll begin in verse 30. Numbers 13, 30, and we'll read through verse 33. The Bible says, And Caleb stealed the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we are in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And for just a few moments this morning, I want to speak to us on this subject, and hopefully it'll make sense later. Choosing the promise. Choosing the promise. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. Thank you for standing. Thank you for your worship. Praise God. Think of the greatest thing that you could ever be given. Think of the greatest thing that you could ever obtain. And you can kind of let your mind go wherever it wants to go, I guess, in that, and you can, you can fill in the blank of whatever that is. Typically, our minds would drift to monetary things or possessions such as cars and houses, perhaps even lands. Or you have that in your mind, whatever that is, whatever your greatest goal could be. And thinking of how that could be just given to you. Whatever that is, just outright a gift. But now imagine that you just simply opted out and simply did not take possession of that gift. It's unthinkable, right? For someone to just hand you something perhaps free of charge that you did not have to necessarily work to get, but you just said, I'm okay. It's unthinkable in this world today. I recently read a snippet of an old story that many years ago an old Indian died of starvation in the United States. When dead, there was found around his neck a little bag containing an old yellow parchment. He kept it on a charm. But when it was deciphered, it turned out to be a document granting pension to this man's grandfather for bravery in the War of Independence. The terms of the deed made this pension available to the first recipient, his son, and his grandson, the man who died of starvation. The document was signed by George Washington himself. And so here was an instrument, a a pension, something granting him an everlasting earthly life. And the old man never claimed it because he just simply didn't know what it was. It's one thing to have something given to you, never know it, but there is something quite different to have something offered to you, an opportunity to possess something and simply never choose to possess it. 
In Genesis 12, we were introduced to a very specific and a very specific command and promise given to Abram. The Bible says, How the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And the Bible says, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. Abraham chose the promise. Abraham believed God. He believed his word, and he simply chose to do what God had asked him to do. His willingness to hear the voice of God and his obedience to the word of God gave him the opportunity to, uh, to, to, to possess the blessing and in turn giving a, another generation to come the same opportunity. Because in Genesis 12, 6 through 7, the Bible says, And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, under the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this Land. God appeared unto Abraham and assured him of the promise. God appeared unto Abraham and assured him that the land in which he placed his feet, because of his choosing and because of his obedience, would be given for a possession to the generation coming behind him. God promises to bless Abram and to make of him a famous generation, a nation. But God had one condition, and that was that Abram had to do exactly what God wanted him to do. This meant leaving his home. This meant leaving his friends. This meant walking away from the familiar and traveling to a new land where God promised to build of him a great nation. God planned. It was in his plan that he would develop a nation of people that he would call his own. And he called Abram from that pagan self-centered city of Ur to a fertile region called Canaan where a God-centered moral nation could be established. Though it was small in dimension, Though the land of Canaan was not a very great and vast land, it was the focal point for most of the history of Israel as well as the rise of Christianity and has had a tremendous impact on the world stage. Now fast forward in the story just a little bit and we'll see that God does in fact fulfill the promise to Abraham in that he gives him a son who he, he, he has a son himself by the name of Jacob. Jacob, who has a miraculous encounter with God himself, an angel that he wrestled with all in the night, named, uh, changed his name to Israel. His sons then become the 12 tribes of Israel, thus becoming the children of Israel. But this family, unfortunately, would be wrought with scandal and deceit and with tragedy. Jealousy and disdain for their own would cause them to to, to betray the trust of their father. And these men would subsequently sell their brother Joseph into slavery into Egypt. In all of this, it doesn't look very good. But hear me this morning. Even in all of this, it doesn't look like it, but the promise is still very much alive by the divine provident hand of God. Joseph becomes the prime minister of the nation of Egypt and saves, just as the word of God stated to him, many people alive. However, as time proves to us all, Joseph would end his life there in Egypt and die, and the Pharaoh who promoted him would also in turn die, and another emperor would enter the picture that did not hold the children of Israel in such high esteem. Now the beginnings of this nation, now the beginnings of this tiny nation of people are in bondage under heavy guard and under heavy taskmasters and heavy burdens. But hear me, the promise is still very much 
alive because Israel lifts up their voice as a nation and cries out to God by reason of the bondage and God remembers his covenant with Abraham. He hears their cry and he remembers what he told Abraham. I will carry you into a land and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will bless them that bless you and I will make you a blessing. And he says in Exodus 3 and 8, and I am come down to deliver them out of the land, hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hizites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites through, through miraculous plagues. Now we're just moving fast through this story this morning but we are going somewhere through miraculous plagues and an outstretched hand. God rescues Israel out and brings them out of the bondage of Egypt. By the way of the Red Sea parting, they escape their enemy on dry land while the enemy is swallowed up by the returning tide. God mightily rescues them and miraculously provides to them while they're in transit from there. Yet, unfortunately, disparagingly, it isn't long, and they begin to murmur and complain. How? How could it be that after such a long-suffering God, that after, after supernatural reprieve, that they begin to moan and that they begin to groan about their desert journey and, and long for the things that they had in Egypt? How? How could they come through on dry land? How could they forget what the bondage was in Israel? Notwithstanding, through peril and stiff neck reprisal, God's promise is still alive. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself this morning, but can I tell you in 2023, God's promise is still alive. What he promised even though they moaned and even though they groaned, what he promised was still on the table. What he offered them was still ready for them to possess. His plan, his purpose, his will, all of it was still right there, every bit of it, the land, the land that flowed with milk and honey was still available. It's very interesting that he would use that term milk and honey. Milk and honey are often paired together. They're often pushed together because of, of the sustenance and, and what they represent. It's that substance that can be harvested without detriment or without destruction to the source. If you eat an animal, you kill him. He's dead. There's no more when you're done. But milk and honey, you don't have to kill that source. It just keeps on reproducing. It just keeps on giving. And so the land that flows with milk and honey is simply a reference to the abundance and the provision and the substance of God. Can I tell you, that's the promise. It's an overabundance. It's a provision. It's substance that cannot be killed. And it's free-flowing, and it is always available. In Numbers 13, God brings them to the threshold of that promise where we just read. He brings them to the brink. He brings them to the precipice. He brings them to the edge, and he says, here it is. He brings them to the outskirts, and he says, this is what you've been waiting for. This is what you've been traveling toward. This is what I've been waiting for, and this is what I've been waiting to give you. Now, just a disclaimer here this morning. This generation, this generation that we're reading about here this morning is what wrought the words of Paul when he was talking about in 1 in, in, in Corinthians chapter 10. It was this generation that Paul was talking about when he said, Now all these things happened unto them for their for, for them, unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition. 
upon whom the ends of the world are come. This is not just an old antiquated book. These are not just outdated stories for our fathers and our grandfathers and their fathers and their grandfathers. They are still relevant now as they were relevant then. And so everything that you read from Genesis to Revelation is still available today. Every word, every jot, every tittle. And so he's saying this generation, this is the ones. These are the ones that we need to look for. These are the ones that we need to look to. Even in 2023, as the example, as the example, as an image of what to do and what not to do. Numbers 13 and 1, the Lord instructed Moses to send out spies. The mission of these spies was to scout out the land. In verse 3, the geographical destinations in this chapter move from the broader context of the wilderness of Paran to the more specific location of Kadesh in the Zen wilderness, which was the starting point of their exploration. But this location would prove to be somewhat problematic. 13, verse, verse 4 and through 16 of, uh, of the 13th chapter of Numbers says that, that, that there was a list of scouts that were given. There were a list of men who were, who were chosen to scout out the land, but they rarely appear again in Scripture. Most of them, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. That'll, that'll make sense a little bit more in a minute. Moses decided what information was needed before the people could enter the promised land, and he took careful steps to get that information. God told the Israelites that he promised, and that the promised land was rich and fertile. Not only that, but he also promised that this bountiful land would belong to them. It would be theirs. And so when the scouts reported back to Moses... They gave plenty of good reasons for entering the land. But there were buts. They gave plenty of good reasons. But. But there are giants. But there are fortified cities. It was here in Kadesh. It was here at a desert oasis. At a comfortable place. At a crossroads in Israel's history. When they made their decision, when the scouts returned to Kadesh from scouting the new land, the people now had to decide either to enter the land or to retreat. Let me remind you that God had already decided. God's mind was already made up. He already said it is a land that flows with milk and honey and you can have the land because I have given it to you. It was at Kadesh. It was at this crossroads, if you will, that their future would be decided not by God, but by them. Now say this morning it would be easy to apply this to a body of people to perhaps a movement or even a local church, but I would like to drill down just a little bit more and make this a more personal account, a more individual responsibility, and here's why. Every single one of the 12 men that went into the land to spy out the land had an opportunity to give a report. Every single one of them had the opportunity to speak up. Every single one of them had the responsibility to speak. In fact, they all confirmed what God said was absolutely correct. It was a land, they said, that flows with milk and honey. It is a land, and here's the proof. They had the cluster of grapes to prove that the fruitfulness of the territory was not a sham. It was not a pipe dream. It was not something that God was bringing them to and saying, you can figure it out when you get there. Everything that God had said was absolutely true, and they had the fruit to prove it. Yet all but two of them gave an evil report. Numbers 13 and 26, and they 
went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, or but, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And so you want, you want me to tell you what they were doing right then? They were confirming God's word, but they had buts. They, 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 they said, yeah, what God said was true. God had already told them, I'm going to send you there, and you're going to drive out every single race of those people that I told them. To the, Heb- the, the Jebusites, the Hizites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, every single one of them. God said, You're going to go, you're going to take, you can have it, and you're going to drive them out. And so, what they were saying was not untrue, it was not a, a falsity. They were saying the truth, but what they began to do in their own heart was they began to reason. They began to reason among themselves. They begin to reason within themselves and they begin to reason themselves out of the equation. They begin to focus on all of the so-called negative aspects of taking the land. They deduced the strength of the strongholds and they 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 deducted themselves because of the fortifications, the, the giants and the massive scale of the task before them to be more than they could handle. After all, they're just farmers. They're not fighters. They are builders. They're not brawlers. They're not, they're not warriors up to this moment. They have been nothing but nomads. And before that, they were slaves under the taskmasters of the Egyptians. They just worked. They just toiled. They just built it. They just planted for them and never said a word until it got too much for them. And then they didn't revolt. They called on God. And God answered them. And God sent a man to them to rescue them. Can I tell you this morning that none of that mattered when they began to reason among themselves? All of that was just washed away because the human reasoning within them just took it out of the equation. Reason can rob you of a miracle. Human reasoning can absolutely hinder what God is wanting to do. When we look through the lens of our own human reasoning, we will inevitably limit God, the limitless God, the God who said let there be and there simply was. Human reasoning can take him out of the equation and can hinder a move of God. And so Numbers 13 and 31 but the men that went up with him said we be not able we be not able to go against the people for they are stronger than we and they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched until the children of Israel. We already read it. And so they reasoned among themselves and they reasoned within themselves and they looked at the absolute real circumstances and consequences of what they were about to do and they saw themselves as grasshoppers and then they put that on the enemy and said they will see us that way as well. And they simply chose to forego the blessing and to possess the land because they believed that they could not do it. And so the events of Numbers 13, that evil report brought up against the Lord's promised land led to a very tragic chain of circumstances. And we don't have time to go through it all this morning. I admonish you to read verses 13 and 14 for yourselves and you will see. And because of it, the children of Israel missed a window of opportunity that was placed before them. The land was given to their hand. It was placed at their feet, yet they saw themselves as minuscule 
and they unqualified themselves to take possession of what God had already instructed and promised. I wish somebody would hear me this morning. But their human reasoning, hear me, was really more of a symptom of an even greater issue. And that is the sickness of unbelief. There is no in-between. There is either belief or there's unbelief. There's either faith or there's faithlessness. There's either obedience or there's disobedience. There is no neutral ground in this. And so if reasoning is a symptom of unbelief, disobedience will always be the outcome. Unbelief is the mother of future disobedience. Faith is the voluntary submission within a person's own power. And so if faith is not exercised, the true cause lies deeper than all intellectual reasons. It lies in the moral aversion of human will and in the pride of independence which says, Who is the Lord? And why should we have to depend on Him? As faith is obedience and submission, so faith breeds obedience, but unbelief leads to and breeds debilitating distrust. And in reciprocating fashion, the less one trusts, the more he disobeys, and the more he disobeys, the less he trusts. And I'll say it again, the less he trusts, the more he disobeys, and the more he disobeys, the less he trusts. And it's a human cycle because human reasoning will always be the birthplace of unbelief and distrust. And unbelief leads simply to inaction. And so it matters 1,000% this morning. It matters what you do. It matters what you do, but equally as important, it matters what you say. Oh, yes, it does. Your words have power. It starts in your mind, that reasoning, that argumentative human nature, and then it gets in your mouth. It matters what you think about. And it matters what you say about the plan of God. And hear, somebody hear me this morning. The purpose of God, it matters what you think about it. And it matters what you say about that. But it also equally matters what you say and what you think about yourself. Because you can absolutely talk your way into or out of a blessing or a miracle or a deliverance you can talk yourself into it and you can certainly talk yourself out of it you can talk yourself into the will of God and into the plan and purpose of God and you can absolutely talk your way out of it what you say matters because what you say has power don't believe me well listen to what James said he said we put he, bits in the horse's mouths and, and that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body with that little thing. Behold, also the ships they, they turn even though they're driven by fierce winds but we turn them with a small hymn whithersoever the governor listeth even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter of fire kindleth but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Jesus said, I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words shalt thou be condemned. Solomon said in Proverbs, a man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. And so yes, it matters what you say, it matters what you do, but it starts with your mouth. It matters what you say because what you say, words, even though they're small, insignificant in our eyes and in our minds, can set and change the very course of your life. And I'll go one step further than that. It also, it also matters who you associate with. And it matters what they say. 
It matters what they are saying because you hear by words and that gets in your spirit and what they say can change the very course of what God is trying to do in your life. And so looking through the lens of what God is asking, looking through the lens of what prompting or calling that He has placed upon your life, let me just go ahead and tell you this morning, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but you can't do it. You can't do it. And that is the truth. Those are the facts. Somebody said, them's the facts. It's just the way it is. But we don't have to dwell on that aspect. Sister Amy Townsend said it last Sunday, and I think she said it best. She said, we are unqualified. We are unqualified. But let's settle that issue, and let's get it out of the way. Because the truth of the matter is, is that I can't do anything on my own. I don't have the means in myself to accomplish what God is calling or talking to me all by myself. But but even though we don't have the power to attain the blessing that God is wanting to bestow upon us, the power is not in us alone. But, but, I've got a but, but we are called. Every single one of us, we are called. I wish somebody believed that this morning. We are called. We are called for a time such as this. And we are called to serve this generation. And we are called to be ambassadors for Him in this land and so we must trust that what God has called us to we must also trust that he will carry us through because the flip side of the coin always leads to rebelliousness no if ands or buts about it inaction reasoning within yourself will always lead to rebelliousness in the word of God that's what it really all boiled down to with the children of Israel. It was rebellion. It sounded a whole lot like humility. We can't do it. They're too big. The task is too great. The land will eat up our children. It will destroy us. We cannot do this. Yes, you can't do this, but you were not called by your own volition. God called you. It sounded a lot like humility, but it certainly was not humility because their go-to statement was that we wished that we had just died in Egypt. That was the telltale sign. Always looking back to yesteryear. Always trying to go backwards. Always trying to look back at some, some, some I don't know, Crazy idea that that was the good old days somehow. It, it, let me tell you something this morning. And I don't mean any disrespect, but if you're looking to go backwards, if you're looking to go back to yesteryear, if you're looking back to go back to the good old days, hear me, that's not the plan of God. God wants us to move forward. His kingdom is not stagnant. His kingdom is not in a state of inertia. His kingdom is not static, but His kingdom is dynamic. And like we, like that, we are to move with and that is to move forward. And so an even more tragic set of events gave way to an even more tragic end for the circumstance befallen the children of Israel. Because hear me now, nothing good happens on the fringes. Nothing good Nothing good will ever come out of being on the edge of responsibility. Nothing good will ever come back to you in just trying to stay in the most comfortable state that you can. It's false hope. It's false hope. Forty years they wandered. Forty years they, they just meandered through the wilderness. For 40 years, they just walked in circles. For 40 years, they just experienced the monotony. For 40 years, they just lived short of what God had intended for them to do. Hear me this morning. God will not force you to do anything that He is calling you to do. He will not heavy hand you and just push you into something he will it takes a partnership 
It takes a partnership because God is a gentleman and He will not force you. The proof is here because God allowed an entire generation an entire generation to perish in the wilderness because they would not accept the call and the mandate that was placed upon them. But here is the facts, people. God will always have a people. God will always have an obedient people. God will always have a called out and chosen generation. The Lord has all the time in the world. He exists outside of time and outside of space. It's us that have a shelf life and so he can wait. He can wait because he can afford to wait but we can't afford to wait. The Lord just waited and he just he just waited he said if you want to be stiff-necked I'll show you what stiff-necked is you don't have the time to wait on me I can wait you out but you can't wait me out and so he just waited that generation out two of the 12 spies that were readily confident of what the Lord wanted to do and could do through them are the only ones that survived and because of that they ushered in a new generation of inhabitants that would believe the Lord's report and so what the first generation failed to do through unbelief. The following generation realized through faith what they wouldn't do beginning. The, the, the next generation said, we'll do it. We'll take it. We'll, we'll go the extra mile. We'll take it from you, Lord, and we'll, and we'll choose the promise. What one generation through, through, failed to do through and accomplished to do through rebelliousness. Another generation carried out the plan of God through compliance. Forty years of wondering brings another generation back to the edge of the promise because can I say it again the promise is still alive it's still alive and well and what he said to Abraham is still available because each generation every single generation us here today everybody there's not one individual there's not one group or body that does not have its brush with the promised land every person has the opportunity to enter the promise every church every people every tongue every race every nationality it doesn't matter who you are or where you came from it doesn't matter what you did last night you can have a brush with the promise today because the promise is still very much alive. Joshua 3 and 3 the Bible says and they commanded the people saying when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests the Levites bearing it then you shall remove from your place and go after it yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure come not near unto it that you may that ye may know the way by which you must go for ye have not passed this way here to four. here they are again they're back again they're now finally fulfilling what God has commissioned them to do. They are now ready to take what the Lord has placed in their hand. And so they command the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant move, and the priests and the Levites carrying it, then get up, move forward, and go after it. But leave a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits, that you can see the way and know the way, because this is new territory. You haven't been here before. You haven't been brushed up against this before the other generation has but not you and so we're going to let the ark go before us this time we're going to let the word of the Lord lead us this time we're going to let his spirit go before us this time because we've not been here before this is new territory but can I tell you this morning it's new territory but it's territory that the Lord intends to give us because the promise is still available it's ours it's ours for the taking we can have it we can take yet, but we got to settle the issue. Canaan is not heaven. Ooh, we see that hurts some. Canaan is not heaven. Canaan is the promised land. Canaan is not a type of heaven. No. The original spies, I've already said it, they weren't wrong. Now we like to look at them and say they were dead wrong. Their actions were wrong, but what they said was absolutely the truth. Naturally, the land was filled with giants. 
naturally. It was an idolatrous culture. Naturally, hear me now, it was a perverse people. The things that went on there, you wouldn't even want to talk about in the dark. It was a perverse nation. There were battles to fight. There were enemies of God. But there were enemies of God to conquer. You see, Canaan represents our world today, spiritually. Canaan isn't heaven. Canaan is a promise of spiritual dominion. Canaan isn't heaven. Canaan is a battleground. But I can assure you that it is a battleground that is to be conquered and it is an attainable battleground. Here's the misconception. Promised land somehow connotes or brings somehow a a mind to a place of absolute peace with no conflict because it's simply called the promised land. And so it makes us think that there's just going to be easy peasy, lemon squeezy, money in the bank, Promotions at the job with no effort, a big house, uh, multiple cars, the nicest clothes, the, the latest tech, all right there in our hand. Very easy, an easy life. No, no conflict, no problems. But when people really see, hear me, what really, what, when they really see what living for God is, they either reject it, they either cower, or they attempt to replace it with something easy. But God did not intend for us to be little silver spoon recipients. He gives to prove. He gives to adapt us for His purpose. Not so that we can live the nice life. Not so that we can kick back on the beach and have a good time. There are enemies to fight, but there are enemies to conquer. And can I tell you this morning that spiritually, we are to possess the land. We are to possess it by walking counterculture to the world around us. We're not moving in the same direction that they are. We're not listening to the same things that they are. We're not saying the same things that they are. We're not watching the same things that they are. God has commissioned us to enter the promised land and every single man, woman, and child, there are no exclusions, are invited to enter in as the nation of Israel left the bondage of slavery in Egypt. We too are invited to be recipients and and we are too to repent of our sins and turn away from our old lifestyle. Just as the nation of Israel crossed through the Red Sea, we are invited to receive the name of Jesus in baptism for the remission of our sins. And just as the nation of Israel crossed over the Jordan into the promised land, we are invited to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. The lifestyle. This is it. The lifestyle of Holy Ghost empowerment is typified by the promised land. Thus we can enter in to our own promised land by obeying Peter's directive in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? That we can enter in to our own promised land, that we can possess the land, and that we can be what God has called us to be. And here's the reason why. This is why He gives us what He gives us. Because there's a Rahab waiting on you. This is just a thought, and I'm not going to try to make a doctrine out of this by any stretch of the imagination. But I just want to leave you with this thought. What if Israel had accomplished what God commanded them to do? Think about it. Forty years prior to when Joshua took these men in. What if Israel had had the gumption to do what God had called them to do? Would we still be calling her Rahab the harlot? It's very, very possible that she was a child. I don't know how old Rahab is. She had a family. 
But what if they could have made it to her here instead of here? Would we still refer to her? I'm closing if our musicians would come. God has commissioned. God has sanctioned. God has provided our entrance into what he has promised us. But the divine will of God must partner with your will. The divine will of God must partner with my will. Jesus had all the opportunity in the world. He's God manifest in flesh. He could have ended everything in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's too tough. I didn't realize it was going to be this hard. He never stepped in human flesh before, though he created it. He never felt it before, but now he feels the agony and the pain of Gethsemane. And he knows where he's going. There's no doubt in his mind that what I'm feeling now is going to be magnified on that cross. He had a but. Though it's more than this flesh can take. Not my will. But thy will. Be done. Now we would be lost and dead in our sins today. If it had been the flip side of that coin. We would be nowhere. No one would know your name. But somebody is somewhere along the way said, not my will, God. Your will. So they stepped out of their comfort zone. They stepped out beyond what they felt was comfortable to them. And they shared him with you. And they gave you an opportunity to enter in to his promise. It's here. It's right now. And you can possess it. You can have it. You can take it. But you have to do that. So like the old man that we spoke about probably a couple hours ago by now. There are millions of people on earth. Though available to them, they have never accepted the gift that has been offered to them. Equally like this old man, there are many hundreds, perhaps even thousands of believers who have received the document, who have been given the instrument, but never personally claimed the benefits that it promises. Hear me this morning. I believe what I'm about to say with every fiber of my being. Our God-given heritage is that we have dominion over the enemy, over the territory, and over ourselves. The enemy of our soul is not strong enough to overcome a blood-bought, born-again, spirit-filled child of God that is walking in the purpose that God has placed upon their life. He cannot stop you. He can only talk to you. He can only make you reason about the situation. But he can't stop you if you make up your mind. God said, I will be with you. I've already given it to you. It's already yours. The world can't rob you of this if you're in pursuit of what God has sanctioned you to do. And so whatever it is, what, whatever it is that's in your mind right now that God is talking to you about, you can have it. Whatever it is that God is calling you to do right now, you can possess it and you can do it right here and right now. Stand with me this this morning you can have it it's yours it's ours and so I leave you with these two questions here
Are you walking in the plan and purpose that God has placed upon your life? If you are, I commend you. Are you living up to your full potential? If you are, I applaud you this morning. But I believe right here, right now, even still, that there are people standing at the precipice of what God wants to give you. And it is greater, it is greater, it is greater than anything that you could ever imagine. It is greater than your current circumstance. It's greater than your current condition. And so I admonish you today, don't just be around the promise. Don't just have a, 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 a little bit of a relationship on the outskirts of the promise. Choose to enter in to the promise. Don't just have an association with the promise. Don't just be able to point and say, yeah, I know that's the promise. I know that's available. Don't just be around it, but be in it. Don't just be associated with it. Possess it. Here Hear me this morning. We can, we can, we can, we can succeed. We can have revival. We can, we can live for God successfully. You can repent of your sins and you can be baptized in his name and you get, you can be filled with his spirit. You can teach that Bible study. You can witness to that coworker. You can see your backslidden children walk through that door and throw their hands up and be refilled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you can have it. You can have it. You can take possession of it. It's yours, and it is for this generation. For the promise is still very much alive, and it is absolutely still available because Peter said, it's for you. It is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call and all you have to do is make up your mind right now that I'm going to enter in. And you ask the question, well, I don't know what it is that God's calling me to do. I don't know. He is calling you. You may not know it yet, but you can come down to this altar this morning and he can enlighten your eyes. He can open your heart and he can open your mind and he can reveal to you what it is that he wants you to do for his kingdom. And I'm telling you right now, I just join with Caleb. I say let's go up at once. I say let's go up at once and possess it for we are well able to possess it. Throw your hands up this morning and shout with a voice of triumph and possess what God is wanting you to possess in Jesus name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.